This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us on Eye on Education. We were celebrating International Education Day with the educators. Of course, talking about what makes a fantastic teacher and what schools can and should be doing to support their wellness and well-being. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Lovely to have you with us this afternoon as we mark International Education Day. And we've got not one but two educators joining us between five o'clock and loving your messages that are coming in, talking about the most impactful, the best teachers that we've had. I think we often underestimate just what a tough job this can be. And that's what we're going to be discussing over the course of the next hour as we explore well-being um, and really pay tribute to some of the amazing teachers we've got here in the UAE and in conversation with one right now. Hayley Lamb is with us, the Vice Principal of Ranchers Primary School. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. I know how busy things are right now. Um, Would you mind taking a little trip with us down memory lane and tell us what made you want to be a teacher? Um, I suppose my favourite teacher was my year two teacher, Mrs Gale. Um, And looking back, she was just so caring and supportive and she treated everybody as an individual and had like a personalised approach, which I suppose back in the day wasn't always the approach that teachers took. Mm -hmm. Um, She actually became my first ever head teacher when I was a newly qualified teacher, just by chance I applied for a job (laughs) at her school. And and, Um, and was she as nice as a boss as she was as a teacher? Do you know what she actually was oh, like good. she was she was absolutely fabulous and she's um still my professional mentor like oh. all those years later so she yeah we really, just genuinely like really caring and um took each child and each adult as they came mm. and tailored tailored her approach based on their needs so um I suppose she was my stimulus really for for going in, into teaching but it wasn't something that I always wanted to do um I actually did a law degree right. um and went went traveling and ended up teaching English in a in a Thai school and that's when I decided that I no longer wanted to be a solicitor and I wanted <laughs> to be a teacher so I retrained wow see it's it I think it is a bit of a calling and you mean obviously you had that experience of of teaching children and then realizing it was a career but I think a lot of a lot of children do you know hold up these teachers as role models and think oh my gosh I'd love to be like Mr so-and-so or isn't Mrs so-and-so absolutely fantastic and I'd love to be like them and it's a job that I think is often really undervalued underestimated and I think the pandemic if we're going to take any positive from it was actually we started to really value the 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 work the very hard work that teachers do um what are some of your favorite parts your 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 most loved bits about being a teacher Hayley? Um, so now in my role, I don't obviously have my own class. Um, but looking back to when I was a class-based teacher, I loved the, I think I loved the pastoral side. So the getting to know the whole child and empowering them and supporting them to to grow and develop and be the best versions of themselves that they can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a really fabulous memory of when I first started teaching. And we, the school had been entered into this maypole dancing competition. <laughs> and the school that I worked at, didn't we didn't even have a maypole. I mean, so we don't say it like that. Back. I don't think many, many places do have it a maypole. It was so funny. Like, it was this, like, fair, this village fair. And 
we we sourced a maypole we made our own costumes and I say we because it was a team effort like me and this group of seven-year-olds we decided how we were all going to wear our hair so we all put our hair into side ponies that day and we had tie-dyed outfits and we actually won the competition bear in mind not like I didn't even know what maypole was until I was told that I was leading this competition for school <laughs> and it was about empowering all of those children so just remember the com- individual conversations with the different children like I don't want to do it miss I don't want to get it wrong I don't want to let you down and each and every one of those children I built them up and they were ready and they thoroughly enjoyed it and it just those that's probably one of my favorite memories of teaching because oh. it was it wasn't the academic side, not that, you know, obviously that side's really important, but it was actually getting to know the children on an individual basis mm-hmm. and um, really boosting their confidence. Seeing the, yeah. yeah, yeah, and seeing them as little individuals as well. How, what about the most challenging parts? I don't know if your principal's listening, but, you know, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of schools are going through inspections right now, and that's obviously the kind of the, the, the stereotypical, oh gosh, it's inspections week and this is absolutely horrendous. But outside of those kind of intense periods, are there any, you know, days or circumstances that, you know, broken your heart or, you know, you found it really difficult about going into work as a teacher? I think time. Um, so especially in um, schools in the UAE where we have um, uh, specialist teachers, which is great for the children. Um, It means that the class-based teacher doesn't actually get to have their class all day, Mm -hmm. which is, it has its positives because it provides the the teachers with that non-contact time to be able to plan lessons and and resource. However, it does have its downfalls as well, because um, you, from a pastoral perspective, you might not always see your class, for the first 40 minutes of a day they might have a specialist lesson so it doesn't allow for you to have those check-ins with the children mm-hmm. or as on another side of things you might be really in the flow with things with a maths lesson as an example and then you have to stop because it's time for the children to go to one of their specialist lessons and like I say there's definitely pros and cons to that system um, but I feel like it's that time and in the moment time the teachers don't always get because we have the constraints of the timetable mm, makes sense all right well we're going to talk about teacher well-being next and what is happening there at ranchers primary we've got the vice principal Haley lamb with us for her it was mrs gale for me it was mr morell we're talking about the most impactful teacher that maybe you or your kids have had we've had a shout out for mrs ellis we've had um Maureen saying it was my mum she was a grade school teacher and my teacher in grade four I talked about excelling academics, but also to be kind, loving and responsible. Randy, Mr. J. Rivera. What a name. Left a great impact on my student life, which I'm applying to this day. Who is it for you? This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Joining us live from Ranchers Primary School, we've got the Vice Principal Hayley Lamb is joining us and we are talking about being a teacher and ultimately, I guess, I wanted to ask for your thoughts on the significance of International Education Day. You know, do you feel like it has got a role? What impact does it have on that teaching community, Hayley? Um, I think it's a reminder of the important role of teachers and that the, the influence that they have. Um teachers are actually at the centre of the world's growth and development um, when you look into it. Um, it's our job to inform and to educate and to provide the children with 
those life skills uh, which will influence how they view the world and how they treat others. Mm -hmm. Well said. Well, it's interesting. We're getting so many lovely, and I really mean this, heartwarming messages coming in as people take a little nostalgia trip and remember some of their favourite teachers. We've got Elizabeth joining us on the line now. Elizabeth, tell us about um, about your teacher. Was it Miss Davies? Miss Davies, yes. What, what, um, what, why did she have such a such a mark on, on your life and, and how you view yourself? I think that's the common theme that's coming up. Um, well, thanks. She was, she was amazing. She was excitable. She had lots of energy. She, she, wouldn't just, she wasn't just our English teacher. She would talk in such an animated way and she would whisper sometimes. She was just dramatic and it was always interesting to go to her lessons. Um, and I think we, we all enjoyed it. But she didn't, she didn't let you get away with things. She would have the conversations that other people, other teachers didn't dare have, and she'd really push you. Mm-hmm. And I think we all really appreciated that about her. Um, I think it's sometimes exactly being made accountable, um, you know, being told maybe what your potential is when as a kid you've got absolutely no idea what you're capable of, really. Was that something that she did, do you think, looking back? So that was, yeah, definitely for me. What she did was um, we, she had asked us, she'd, she'd set us some homework and we had to make up a fictitious character and then just write a few paragraphs about him or her. And um, I wanted to go outside and play with my friends and so I just dashed something off and I thought it was going to be good enough. And um, when she was giving us our papers back, you know, she she always used to put not just the grade, but also she'd write some really useful comments. Mm -hmm. And she just wrote, see me online. And I thought, (laughs) crikey, (laughs) yeah, I've been rumbled. So um, I went to see her after school and she said, do you know what, Elizabeth, this is absolutely fine. And, you know, you know that your work is good and that you have a flair for English, um, but you're lazy. And... You can coast through life, I'm sure, and you'll do perfectly well. Um, and you can, you can choose. Do I want to be lazy? Mm. But she said, Elizabeth, you could be a titan. And oh, it's goosebumps. your choice. Yeah, wow. it's your choice. So choose. Do you want to just coast or do you want to be a titan? And for me, it was such a moment of I know and she knows that I didn't try. Mm-hmm. And she believes in me and she's taking the time to have this conversation. And she really did light a fire in me that day oh. because she, she just showed her belief. Oh. And you know, oh. even some family members didn't show that belief. And so for me, it was just extraordinary. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and we'll see if we can get a podcast. And if she's still around, I'm sure she'd love to hear what an impact she had. Elizabeth, thank you so, so much. And I think that really speaks, hey Lam, to just the power that a few words a conversation can have on how someone, you know, views themselves and continues to move to move through the world. Um, but it is a stressful job being a teacher. You know, there's huge demands on time, as you alluded to earlier, but it feels like the education industry is really waking up to that and putting things in place to safeguard mental health and, and, and well-being. Um, what's happening at Ranchers Primary? Are you able to give any examples of what, what you guys are doing with this, with this as a priority? Yes, we actually have a well-being team um, that look, it's a teacher well-being team um, that look out for the well-being um, of all of our staff. And we have representatives from across the school because although our senior leadership team um, are fully fully supportive of well-being, um, we've all been on our own well-being journeys and so... Um, really empathetic with to um, staff and, and what's going on for them but we feel that actually we need ears and eyes on the ground because mm-hmm. we don't always know what's happening 
Um, we do also have a student wellbeing team who they're called our wellbeing ambassadors. Um, and so we've sort of got a, a we've got wellbeing at all levels, so to speak. Um, and we we haven't as yet brought in a program for staff. We have we do have a, a new uh, program that we're trialing for students. But as it stands, we don't have a program for staff because uh, we've not found anything as yet that sort of suits everybody's needs because mm-hmm. well-being is different for everybody and how much of a certain type of well-being everybody needs is very different day to day for themselves let alone when you you compare it to others so I always say how I'm checking in today is very different to how I would probably check in tomorrow and sometimes I can run through lots of emotions in, in any one day and that's for, that's said for all of our staff as well um, so we we first start off by looking at our sort of Maslow's hierarchy of need because a lot of the time um, in schools, especially because it's so fast paced, um, the the basic needs of, of of the human aren't being met, and that can be time for eating, drinking, um, somewhere to store their food, somewhere to eat, such as a staff room. Um, that those opportunities to connect. So for us, we always, when we're timetabling, we make sure that our teams have time together mm-hmm. um, so that they can obviously plan um, and resource for the for the students learning, but also so that they can connect on an individual level as well and have those opportunities to get to know um, other members. Uh, we have try something new wellbeing sessions. Um, we run these once a term. So instead of professional learning on a Monday afternoon, um, it's a different type of professional learning where all of the teachers are given an opportunity to sign up to something new that they've never done before. Mm, um, what, have you, le- what have you had yeah. in the past? What's been going on? So, so interestingly, I sent an email out to staff again today to see who will who will offer to run a session. So for our session on the 5th of Feb so far, our staff can sign up to either an all walk which will be in the community. So our other vice principal, Amy Carroll, will be leading that. So that'll be uh, sort of being in the moment, no devices, going and having a walk around the ranches to community. Uh, We have cheerleading, we have netball, we have French for beginners, we have staff choir. So that's who's signed up so far. So I'm hoping some of our staff are listening so they uh, remember to press the sign up button yeah, and uh, we'll send them the link. share and offer their talent. Well, yeah. thank you so, so much for coming in. And obviously it's lovely to hear about your own personal passion for teaching, but just how much that's being continued through Ranchester Primary as well. Hayley Lamb, thank you. I know it was yesterday, but happy International Education Day. Absolute pleasure to catch up with you. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Joining us in studio as we mark International Education Day is Nick Hart, the principal of Horizon English School. You know I'm going to ask you this question, Mr Hart. Who comes to mind when I say that, the teacher that had the biggest impact on your life? Yeah, that's um, one that pops into mind fairly fairly easily. I can remember being, I think, in year seven, and it was a um, a, a middle school at the time, so with the, with the oldest children. And that's that time of kind of my, my childhood when... Um, started getting into, into sports teams. I had this teacher called Mr. McKenzie who um, was clearly a sports teacher as well as a class teacher and ran the sports teams and uh, and did training and things like that. And so ha- having a teacher um, who championed sport mm-hmm. and championed competition 
uh, I think con- definitely contributed to kind of pushing me into that kind of thing, which I hadn't really done before that age before. So yeah. um, it certainly made a difference in terms of wanting to get into sport and competition and, and football particularly. It's funny, isn't it? You think about the, we think about yeah, obviously the academics of teaching, but so many of these messages are talking about, you know, thinking about that sense of self and that sense of who I could be, what or who do I want to be? I had a teacher in high school. She was my English literature teacher, Ms. Moore. We're Facebook friends now. I feel really like mature having her as a, as a friend on Facebook. And she was taught, teaching us about how, how, basically how magazines work, how, you know, adverts go on the right because that's where you're going to be looking and, you know, how to put pages together. And it really, I mean, I worked in magazines for years and I'm sure that's a big part of it. But it's this idea of what you are learning now will have a significance on how you move through the world, the role that could be, you know, your dream job and realising that potential. You know, as Elizabeth's teacher, Miss Davis says, you know, you could be a titan if you choose to be. Mm. Um, We're talking about teachers today and and that sense of well-being, really, which I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, has been a bit of a neglected subject until quite recently, this idea of happy teachers mean a happy school and that means happy students. What's your kind of philosophy regarding teacher well-being, Mr Hart? Yeah, yeah, you're right that it's um, a relatively recent thing for leaders to pay attention to. And um, and, I, and I think there are a few misconceptions around it. So uh, when that first first work started on it, there were things like cake in the staff room, um, <laughs> uh, kind of like yoga after school and that kind of thing. And cake's nice and yoga's nice. But then some, some of the reactions I saw to those kind of things were... Um, you guys, I don't want to do yoga. I want to mark my book so I can go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in, I've seen enough of your faces for one day. Thanks <laughs> yeah. very much. So, in in terms of like teacher well being, the, the work started on it without us really fully appreciating what contributes to it. And mm-hmm. and I think for for us at Horizon, the uh, the we're very we're very much into kind of kind of the evidence around uh, around that kind of thing because we can't just go on a, uh, on gut feelings. I mean, gut feelings could be helpful, but you have to back it up. And so. Um, our work is based on the, uh, the the research and the book by Martin Seligman on human flourishing, uh, and the uh, the research into authentic happiness suggests that uh, that in order to feel good, in order to be fulfilled, you need to experience positive emotions. Mm-hmm. You need to um, have engagement and that feeling of flow when time passes really quickly. Uh, you need relationships with others, connection. You need to do something meaningful. You need to have like, work that matters. Yeah, uh, and you need to have uh, accompli- accomplishments. And mm-hmm. that PERMA framework is at the heart of our teacher well-being uh, work at, at Horizon. It's not superficial. It's, it's deep-rooted. It's, uh, it's based on the experience that, that our teachers have at school. We should say that you've had a bit of an international nod um, on the work you've done. Tell us about that. Yes, that's, uh, that's really pleasing. So uh, the, the TESS International School Awards, uh, were the, the shortlists were announced uh, recently and we were shortlisted for um, Staff Wellbeing Initiative of the Year, which is, a, which is a nice recognition for the work that we have prioritised over the last few years. So what does that look like in practice? You know, and I'm sure you know, parents and students might not even notice some of the things that you've got in place, but can you lift that a little bit? Yeah, um, one, of, one of the real strengths um, at Horizon is is based around relationships and connection. Dubai is a um, an emirate, a place where teachers come from different countries. Uh, for us, mainly the UK, away from their families, and so um, the the connection with others is is so important. If you we create connection activities for our staff, so that it's more than a job, it's more than the workplace, and that. Uh, 
our, our colleagues uh, become friends. They they uh, they develop together. They go through life changes together. They go through big moments um, uh, all together, and that that matters. That mm-hmm. you know, the the connection, the feeling of belonging, the family feel is 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 what keeps teachers in schools. Well, that's what I wanted to come to. This idea of retainment you know which we know how expensive it can be to yeah. recruit especially internationally yeah. um and the you know happy happy teachers will stay you know that that's that's what we're working towards and that's not just for the good of you know the bottom line but also yeah. for the consistency for, for pupils as Absolutely. well so how do you think teacher well-being affects students then uh, i think it's it's fundamental i mean um an unhappy teacher will not be at the top of their game. An unhappy or an unfulfilled teacher will not be able to teach well consistently. Mm-hmm. So um, lots, of, lots of school leaders, uh, when, they, when they talk about what's the most important thing, they'll say they put the children first. And that's absolutely uh, a, a noble aim. Um, but if we put children first, we'd be working 20-hour days. We'd be, <laughs> we, 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 there's, there is a limit to that. Um, but So for me, um, we, as, as a school leader, we put staff first so that they can put children first mm-hmm. um, because there, there's no limit to, to putting children first. I think that if, if we prioritise um, our staff's experience, if we prioritise teachers' well-being, then it definitely has a wonderful effect on children. Nick Hart with us today, the principal of Horizon English School. Um, I understand that uh, you've sent some teachers to participate in the UCL programme. What is that and why, why was that a decision you wanted to take? Yes, uh, so uh, Cognita, our uh, our school group, um, really brilliantly ar- arranged this partnership with UCL in London. Um, UCL is renowned internationally for its uh, leadership development, its educational leadership development, and uh, this opportunity for some of our teachers is is, is great. They uh, they're working with colleagues across the world to um, to. to to learn more about the the evidence around leadership development and to come back into school to um, apply that learning to an area of school improvement um, around uh, something we've identified and uh, that work on our curriculum, particularly learning skills, is is brilliant because it's a it's a long term project. It's two years. It's it is it's not um, easy fixes. It's is getting deep into the root of what makes education better and what makes leaders better it's an incredible opportunity that must be really affirming for teachers to feel like they're being i guess encouraged and invested in yeah. in some ways especially you know teachers are really quite young in this part of the mm. world as well and it's quite tempting to be you know flitting off here and there but mm. you need to come back to that retention idea um that must be really really significant for yes them. i mean teachers have to see a future anyone yes. anyone in any role has to see a future for themselves in that in their school in that organization and and I, I, for me that's really important to to make people see what's possible to see uh, where they might be in two three four years time mm-hmm. because if people don't see that then it's very easy to get head turned and to, to think about what it might be like in another organization now teacher burnout and we saw this an awful lot my goodness in the uk right now mm-hmm. and and obviously during the pandemic where there was this need and it was a need it was an urgency in terms of being agile about working in a different completely different way often mm. working you know teaching online and also teaching the classroom as you know as, as they were we were we were juggling that when we think about teacher well-being moving forward mm. nick hart what would you love other school leaders to be implementing and what even have you got in the works at horizon english school to to continue professional development and well-being I think um, it's really easy to declare victory too soon. <laughs> so you, you might have a group of teachers or a subgroup who are really um, 
feeling a strong sense of well-being. But there are always going to be people who have difficulties in their lives at different points, who have difficult situations because of changing circumstances. So it's, uh, on my mind is certainly not taking for granted what, um, what, what we know that some of our, kind of, uh, our colleagues would feel, but to always be aware of um, those, those slight changes because our well-being can change in an instant mm-hmm. with, uh, with, with different circumstances. But I also want to spend a bit more time looking at uh, a, a more detailed career progression for, for our teachers. And one of the reasons for Horizon's uh, longevity and success is because we keep our teachers, we keep them for, for, for long periods of time. And that's, that makes such a difference because you're not starting from scratch each year with yeah. training and development and that kind of and thing. culture, got, you know, yeah. get, getting the sense of this is who we are as a school and this Absolutely. is how you can fit into that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so, so much for sharing your passion for education today and every day at Horizon English School. Uh, Mr. Ni- Mr. Hart, Mr. Nick Hart, thank you. Really appreciate it. And congrats on the shortlisting. Thank you. As you said, global um, award there on teacher wellbeing and initiatives. Um, and thank you all for your beautiful messages on the teachers that have played a huge part in your education, but also who you have become. We've had messages about smiley face post-its, about... Uh, Shaping careers. Mr. Rago getting a shout out there as well. Um, There's no right or wrong. Just lovely to celebrate teachers as we mark International Education Day here on Dubai I 103.8. Ms. Elmore, love the sound of this. I was new, spoke no English. Um, She was an important, important part of my life and did everything she could. Thank you so much, guys. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. To say we're lucky to have stolen away this man from a very busy clinic and waiting list is an understatement. So I'm expecting the text lines to be very busy indeed, as we're joined live by Dr. Arif Khan, British Board Certified Consultant Pediatric Neurologist and the founder of Neuropedia Neuroscience Centre. So we're talking about boosting our children's brain power, especially in the classroom. But he's also an expert in the management of so many childhood neurological conditions, including headaches and migraines, sleep disorders movement disorders, neonatal neurology, ADHD, autism. Uh, Dr. Arif Khan, how are you? Very well, Helen. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time. It's been too (laughs) long and I'm so glad we can have this conversation. It is um, International Educators Day, actually just yesterday. We're going to be celebrating teachers in an hour's time. But I think it's a really important opportunity to talk about children's brain health and improving it as well as addressing some of the many issues that you deal with in clinics. So what is keeping you busy there at Neuropedia right now? What's coming through the doors? Um, Post-COVID, it's been now more than two years. It's mainly a lot of screen time addiction that comes through, uh, speech delays, language delays, uh, hyperactivity goes in simply because uh, there's a lack of social interaction Mm -hmm. in those formative two years. And then kids grow up and they come in with difficult behavior. Uh, we see a lot of sleep disorders. I think that's on an upward trend, especially in this part of the world, simply because parental habits don't allow children to develop good habits. And yeah, so that's a complete different subject in its own right. Uh, well, so- we are going to be touching on sleep and its importance to brain health. So thank you for touching on that. Um, I wondered in your time as a neurologist, how do you feel like conversations around brain health in kids have actually changed in the general population? You know, people, people like us, do you feel like awareness is up? Um, or is there any still somewhat gaps in being proactive about it? 
I think it's huge. The, the awareness has gone up exponentially simply because the accessibility to information, um, Google for that matter. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Dr. Google. And, uh, Dr. Google. Uh, unfortunately, um, I mean, there has been a study which shows that in medical terms, uh, you're more likely to pick up a wrong information from Google rather than picking up a right one. Uh, so to direct you to the right uh, websites and the right addresses, a doctor can help you with that. So it's very useful in that sense. But when you do a so-called research on Google, it doesn't hold any good unless it's been directed in the proper way. So I would advocate looking at uh, Google in sense after you've seen your pediatrician or your doctor and then exploring that further. So you're not out of a job just yet, Doctor. Good to know. Um, not uh, very soon, maybe. <laughs> stop it. While you have the power of the microphone on Dubai I-103.8, are there any myths or misconceptions you'd like to address about children's brains um, straight up? You know, common, common attitudes or misinformation that you find yourself trying to dispel and address time and time again? Uh, one of the biggest battles that I'm fighting with uh, a number of parents as well as schools is the use of screens. And we know that screens have a lot of information to deliver. They have a lot of, um, you know, you know, in periods of COVID when there was quarantine, they did help us uh, continue the education. But I think we're just going too overboard over the last, what, five years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to bring books back. And that's my key message here. One message has to be taken out from the session. It has to be this, that please read books to your kids and get them some books as gifts. And that'll go a long way. Thank you for saying that. Um, It was interesting. We were talking to Moorfield Eye Hospital about this just last week in terms of, you know, recommendations from an eye health point of view, but from a brain health point of view, what would your recommendations be on screen time? So when you look at the American Academy of Pediatrics, they say no screens below two years and only one hour of screen time above two years. Now, that is not possible in this day and age for a child who's 10. You cannot restrict them for an hour's worth of screen because the school itself gives them more screen than the, what's been advocated. Mm-hmm. What I always tell parents is that you need to have two or three disciplinary rules within your house. One, some areas within your house where screens are not allowed, whether it may be bedroom or your dining table. And Keep really strict with that. Make sure you follow that as well. And two, after, say, 7 p.m. in the evening when the sun sets, no screens whatsoever. I know that's difficult, but that's one of the key things that parents should follow because that suppresses a child's melatonin and doesn't allow them to sleep. And that's simple uh, message here. Dr. Arif Khan with us. Up next, we are going to be talking about brain health, early brain development, um, and also optimizing it as well, plus are there any sports he'd advise against? Are there any brain-boosting foods we should be filling our fridges with? This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Right now in conversation with British Board Certified Consultant Pediatric Neurologist, Dr. Arif Khan. He's the founder of Neuropedia Neuroscience Centre. We're talking brain health in our kids. So where does this begin? Can we have an impact on our child's brain health even before they're born, Dr. Khan? Um, everything that a child goes through in terms of its environment and experience doesn't have an effect. So uh, when we talk about a fetal brain before the child is born, the nutrition that the mother assumes and the kind of experience that the mother has has an effect on the child's brain. The first five years of life for a child are absolutely crucial. I'll just give you a a fact here, uh, Helen. 
the average baby's brain is about a quarter of the size of an average adult. But as the baby grows, by the time the baby is five years of age, it's grown to the size of an adult. So all your brain growth completes by five years of age. It's only that your brain matures and learns after that. The size has uh, reached an adult age, a size by five years of age. And why is those first five early years important? Simply because all your brain connections are developed in those first five years. And what makes those connections stronger? It's basically uh, positive interaction, you know, giving them opportunities by use, making them use their senses to interact with the world. And what this leads to is skills that they possess later on, which is higher level of abilities like motivation, self-regulation and problem solving and also communication. So those five years, if you invest in that early on, you will have an easier time for going forward with the child. <laughs> and then yeah. conversely, um, I'm sure, tragically, you've worked with children who might have experienced, you know, trauma or neglect, whether that is emotional, physical, nutritional. You know, is there a way of undoing some, you know, some really you know, negative interactions and experiences that have happened uh, there before is. the age of five? There is. So I used to be a part of a committee in Scotland, uh, where children, uh, adopted children basically had to go through an assessment. And when I was making those assessments, invariably all of them had some kind of a psychological impact that they had gone through. Uh, obviously, through the environment they lived in, the experiences they had and so forth. But it's all reversible. It's all reversible if the child comes back at the right time mm-hmm. into a more conducive environment. These things can change and they can grow on to contribute to the society in a big way. You touched on um, maternal uh, nutrition there when babies neutro. What about nutrition and brain health for children? Are there any specific foods or nutrients that can be really beneficial for cognitive development? So if you look at, uh, you know, Google and books and all that, they will talk about uh, omega-3, omega-6, a lot of fatty acids that help, uh, they form the foundation of uh, brain health. But generally, I always advise to parents, anything in moderation is fine. Make sure the child enjoys what they're eating and anything excess is wrong. So Mm -hmm. because our trend towards uh, fast food consumption has significantly increased in the last 10 years, that's the first thing that needs to be avoided. Anything you cook at home is good for them. So keep that easy. Dr. Arif, the text lines are open and you're more than welcome to reach out and be anonymous if you like. Uh, That really doesn't make any odds with us at all. Uh, We have had a message, no name, saying, I have gestational diabetes. What are the chances that can cause any defects to my baby? Had hunger pangs, ate real junk. I'm underweight. I've only put on eight kilos, about to go into my third trimester and have had the diagnosis. Baby is measuring normal to large everywhere, but head circumference is proportionally much smaller at the third percentile. I've asked the doctor. She said it's nothing, but I can't stop freaking out now we should say you are a pediatric neurologist not um you know a not a a doctor in terms of all senses of of pregnancy and birth but is this something that you would want to flag or any advice to this this mum to be Um, i think she is done all the right things check the child's head circumference and the size of the baby and so forth in gestational diabetes obviously we look at uh kids sometimes being born with increased weight and um uh, poor brain maturation but if you're uh Early antenatal scans are fine and your obstetrician is happy with the progress, then nothing to worry from that perspective. Because most of the kids born to gestational diabetic mothers are completely normal. It's a few of them that we need to pick up early, that's all.
Um, Dr. Arif, I've had a lot of messages for you, and as I knew we would, because uh, you are very much in demand, um, Jamal is asking, um, should we be supplementing our kids and how does the doctor feel about um, NMM for adults? Um, Alia, interesting point, talking about ultra-processed foods. Should we be worried about baby formula? I hope not, or my kids are in trouble. Um, and Mike asking, serious question, should we stop our kids from doing impact sports, even soccer, because of heading the ball? We'll be finding out. This is our on education on afternoons with Helen Farmer with Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai we are going to be celebrating teachers and marking International Education Day after four o'clock but right now we're talking about boost, boosting our children's brain power with Dr. Arif Khan. He's a British board certified consultant, paediatric neurologist and the founder of Neuropedia Neuroscience Centre. So we can help with issues such as movement disorders, um, ADHD and autism, uh, cerebral palsy, headaches and migraines in kids. But we're really just on hand to talk about brain health in general. Uh, We are going to get the text line in just a few minutes. And I wanted to come back to something you talked about earlier, which was sleep which is so often overlooked. It's crucial for overall health in adults. But what about the correlation between sufficient sleep and a children's ability to learn, to retain information? So that question uh, that you just asked about uh, how important it is uh, for kids to um, uh, have their memory consolidated during sleep, it's obviously very important. There are stages of sleep that we sleep through. Uh, there is the what we call as non-REM sleep and REM sleep. And these stages of sleep are absolutely important so that whatever the child learns the night before or the day before, it's consolidated and he can then bring it out the next day. He or she can bring it out the next day at school. Now, for doing that, depending upon the age of the child, eight to 10 hours of uh, continuous sleep, having three or four cycles of sleep is absolutely important. We call this as memory consolidation. And it doesn't happen unless you sleep. Simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... We were discussing sleep on the show earlier this week with Julie Mallon and the hashtag sleepy girl mocktail. Um, and we've talked a lot about sleep hygiene and the importance of, you know, going to sleep at the same time, waking up at the same time. Is that the case in children? Um, you know, is, is that consistency really crucial as well as the depth of sleep that they're getting to? Yes, I mean, even more crucial than adults, because as I said earlier, it's the growing brain we are having here. Mm. The, the brain needs sleep to reset itself. And as you know, the, the old saying goes that children grow in sleep. And that's very true. Mm-hmm. Your growth hormone is secreted in your sleep and children grow in their sleep. So if your sleep is affected or it's inconsistent in children that, ha- that have even more detrimental effect, just not to their uh, development of the brain, but even their physical overall growth. So it's highly advisable to keep their sleep consistent as well as keep the timing quite uh, regular throughout the day, uh, throughout the uh, month, for example. And not only that, I mean, I say this as a mum, on their mood as well, <laughs> you know, if they're, if they're overtired, their ability or inability to socialise the next day, mm. obviously to pay attention, irritability, you know, just to be, you know, a, a pleasant person yeah. to be around. I think we've all experienced irritability in, on, on ourselves and I'm sure that's even more acute in children. And we're going to the text line, Dr. Arif. Um, Mike says, serious question, should we stop kids from doing impact sports or even soccer because of heading the ball and risk of brain damage? Uh, the short answer is no. Um, if I have a minute, I'll just explain that because mm-hmm. what we are afraid of is repeated concussion. A concussion is a traumatic brain injury caused by a bump or a blow to the head or even to the neck where your head, your brain shakes or the brain moves rapidly back and forth. So that's the concussion. 
Now, repeated concussion lead to long-term memory problems, concentration and sleep issues. But that's in significant contact sports like American football, for example, where you just play professionally. But the uh, the impact of a, a football on the head when someone is heading it, it doesn't equate to a concussion. So that has currently there is no evidence that that causes any long-term issues in children. Good to know and probably very reassuring for the many sports academies across the UAE right now. Um, a message here, um, this is from um, from Belinda, saying, could your doctor scan a child's brain and diagnose ADHD? Interesting timing on that question, Belinda, because I don't know, I, I've seen a lot about Dr. Daniel Amen, and he's talking about scanning brains for ADHD. And I wondered if you could speak to that. And I guess it's, there's, it's, a, it's a multifaceted answer in terms of how you diagnose yeah. it. But how how integral is it would be a, a brain scan for coming to a diagnosis conclusion? So in clinical practice, ADHD is not diagnosed using a brain scan. Uh, there's a lot of research going on to kind of delineate areas of the brain that have that are showing an impact uh, in kids who have ADHD. But it's not used in clinical practice. In clinical practice, we use psychological parameters. We you, we understand the behavioral profile of a child. We liaise with parents in school to understand different environments and their interaction with those environments to come to a final clinical conclusion about the diagnosis. There are set standards and criteria that we have to follow. Okay, thank for you for that. Um, Dr. Arif Khan with us today from Neuropedia. Um, we've had not one but two messages regarding nutrition and children's brains. Let's start with Alia, who's asking about formula, saying, I've been reading a lot about the damage that UPF, so ultra-processed foods, can do to our bodies, and I haven't seen formula mentioned much. Given that formula-fed babies have 100% UPF diet for the first six months, wouldn't we expect to see a greater disparity of health outcomes between breastfed and formula-fed infants? I know they're tentatively linked with a br- worse brain health, but that doesn't seem to be appearing in infant studies. Does your doctor know if formula is a uniquely benign UPF, or is the damage just not being found? I am honestly nervous about your answer to this because both of my children had a lot of formula growing up. And just to, just to put your mind at ease, Alia, they're doing all right at school. Um, what is this a cause for concern? Please say no. Please uh, say there's no. no evidence at the moment, Alan. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Obviously, if, if you have a choice, obviously breastfeeding is much more advisable and recommended than formula feeding. You can't match it. But formula feeds have gone through rigorous uh, uh, researches and FDA approvals to come in the, your supermarkets. So don't worry about that. Yes, they have a slightly higher incidence of, say, for example, eczema or allergies mm-hmm. uh, in children, but it is all on balance, basically. So nothing to worry from that perspective. Thank you. We've also had a message relating to an older child saying, my five-year-old girl is vegetarian and is angry most of the time. Could her anger <sighs> issues be related to lacking anything in her diet? Interesting. Uh, mood, nutrition, um, anything you could speak to there? Um, a number of time, if you're, times, if your food is um, high on sugar, it leads to hyperactivity, and we all know that. Uh, but sometimes increased hyperactivity leads to aggression. So that could be a connection with increased sugar foods. But I don't know, or at least I'm not aware of anything in a vegetarian diet that would would cause increased anger in a child. Okay, thank you for that. Um, we've had a message from Jamal. We were talking earlier about supplementing our, our kids. Um, and he's asking, you know, should we be doing that? But also, and I know we're talking pediatrics today, but I, 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 I'm interested in this as well, Jamal. Saying, how does the doctor feel about NMN for adults? Are you able to comment on that? 
Uh, I'm not. No, no I cannot. That's fine. Obviously, no, no. That's fine. I'll, uh, <laughs> do, we can all do our own research. Um, right, we have got... <laughs> Okay, we've only got about five minutes left, but I wanted to ask you about beyond the academics, which we are talking today, of course, in our education, social, emotional learning for brain health. You know, what role does that play in cognitive development? Yes, I mean, uh, currently our academic curriculum doesn't allow us to define social and emotional learning, uh, but I have a number of psychologists that work with me who can define and quantify what we call as an emotional quotient and a social quotient in a child. So we can quantify it now, but there are no parameters for us to gauge them. So we know for roughly where a child should be in terms of the child's social skills at a certain age. Mm-hmm. And the, the answer to your question, whether it is an integral part of the overall development, absolutely. It's even more important than cognition, which is intelligence. So I guess in the last few minutes of this conversation, I would love to know, we mentioned screen time before in terms of having parameters in place there. Um, but aside from screen time, what can parents listening today to do to, and again, we're not talking about addressing issues or disorders or any red flags that have come up, you know, which require a, a, a diagnosis and, and proper management and treatment, but boosting brain power, you know, really getting them set up for concentration, for information, for enjoyment and love of learning above all, I think is really important to stress some daily tips, some practical, you know, habits perhaps that we can incorporate at home to support our child's brain health and enhance their learning experience. Dr. Arif, what would you love to see the people of the UAE doing more of, maybe doing less of? Um, I think I would just cut it down to three uh, pieces of advice or three tips. Number one, sleep. I just cannot emphasize enough how important sleep is. So have a consistent sleep uh, for your child. Uh, Make sure the sleep hygiene is maintained. And uh, even if it means once or twice a week, letting your child sleep later, that is not advisable because that breaks the cycle of learning in Mm -hmm. sleep. Two is uh, screen time. And that's the big thing at the moment, the big monster, as they call it, or the tsunami. Uh, The screen time is here. We are giving excessive amount of screen time to our children. But at least if you can make sure that post 7 p.m. your child doesn't use any form of screen and takes breaks between screens when there is a continuous task that he or she is doing. And finally, nutrition. Nutrition, just keep it simple. Anything cooked at home is good for your child. Anything taken from out is not. Uh, I know many companies here would not like me saying that, but I try to cook at home and feed your child. And keep it simple. Your child will be absolutely fine. I'm so sorry. I know that was, the la- that, was, that was the last question, but I've had a question from Gavin on the text line saying, um, what about um, brain games, exercises that are fun for kids? Any recommendations? I love this idea of just kind of enhancing um, anything that you like, anything that you guys do as a family, anything in clinic for enhancing Yeah, there are a number of brain games. So, uh, you know, it's difficult to recommend one, but it depends on the age. For example, I have a uh, eight or nine-year-old girl and I have a 12-year-old boy and a 15-year-old boy. So the games I play with a nine-year-old girl are different. And what we do in the evenings when I get back home is just sit down there and she just goes through a number of flags for different countries and she names them which country it is. And guess what? She can actually name 200 different flags. And what that does is, just kind of tickles her memory cells and that helps us uh, helps her extrapolate that skill onto her learning aspect where she uses that memory even more so just that simple game her naming the flags which she loves doing helps her uh, improve her academic uh, overall outcome 
Thank you. My little one. And I know it's on a screen, but my little one loves doing the wordle in the morning. And <laughs> I'm like, do you know what? Oh, You're just like your mummy. Loves a word game. Thank you so, so much. Um, Dr. Arafkan, we haven't really touched on some of the issues that you do deal with in clinic. You know, everything from, you know, migraines to epilepsy, you know, all sorts of different issues. But what's the best way of getting in touch with you and, of course, the team there at Neuropedia? Uh, I mean, we're on the Google, just Google us, just say Neuropedia, and it would come up. Uh, we are based in Jumeirah in Dubai and even in Sharjah. Um, the number is on the website. Um, just call the reception and you can just have an appointment to see me directly or, or any of my colleagues uh, within Neuropedia. Thank you so much for your insights. And I think this is a very easy topic to get very confused on. And I think you've spoken so, so clearly and hopefully made people feel empowered about changes that we can make and that are within our grasp for looking after those little those little ones grey matter. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Arif Khan. Really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. And uh, thank you again for your insights and taking my questions and those that were coming in on the text line. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. That was Eye on Education. I'm Helen Farmer and you can catch us live on Dubai Eye 103.8 every single Thursday afternoon.